That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to a pivotal and massive game for uppercase W for the Denver Nuggets. 108 to 95 in one that looked a little bit different on a night where Nikola Jokic wasn't part of a post-game tweet being the first player in Game 4 Finals history to do blah, 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 or since Wilt. It wasn't that type of night for Jokic. Jamal Murray uh, struggled um, more than we're used to from the field, but it was and will be known for the Aaron Gordon game to a lesser degree. The Bruce Brown game, after a lackluster uh, game three, Bruce Brown kicks the door down uh, in the fourth quarter of game number four. So much to react to. We did have more history made, actually, on the Jamal Murray front when it uh, came to uh, helpers. We'll get to that as well. But after 47 years, the Denver Nuggets are 48 minutes away from hosting a parade in Denver, Colorado. You can smell it. You can taste it. They went to South Beach and took both by force. You could even argue that the championship celebration should have been last night. At the time of recording, it is Saturday morning. Shout out um, producer Dante Gomez, who is uh, helping us out today. We've talked about this over the years that typically stay away from weekend shows just to not give extra work to our guys who don't need it, who already have enough on their plate here on the weekends, but uh, Dante helping us out, and we really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to bring in, for the first time uh, here, a recording this a podcast. We are now six seasons in, which I cannot believe. Uh, but for the first time joining me, it's a colleague of mine here at The Fan, who I've got to know better here in the last year or two. It's Chad Andrus, who um, once upon a time was calling, do I have this right, Calling Nikola Jokic's first summer league for NBA TV is that right? Correct, and um, I'm I'm gonna have to throw it out there. Uh, let's just say he was not the focus of our production meetings on NBA TV. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was all about the Emmanuel Mudiay era beginning in that summer league. But there, I, I went back and watched the other day the first couple of games, and uh, there were a few highlights, and we were giving him. Giving him some love, but it certainly was not a focus from the Turner team. I'll say that. Well, now he's the focus of the NBA world. This is uh, a guy who's on the tip of ev- everyone's tongue, but it wasn't necessarily like that type of game. I thought Jokic played great. We had so many different angles to to, to break down. We're going to try to cover it all here over the next 20 minutes or so. We could do an hour and a half on it no, without a commercial break. Um, but in podcast form, we're going to try to keep it to 20, 25 minutes here. Uh there's so many different places to start. It doesn't feel actually organic and just reacting to game four to start with Jokic. It feels like starting with the pockets where Jokic wasn't out there. There was two stretches where Denver needed a life preserver to stay above water. It was the pocket in the first half where Jokic turned his ankle. 
and the offense was already stagnant. 20 points in the first quarter for a team that came into the finals with the greatest offensive rating in postseason history. And be, to be on pace for 80 after one was like, this, this is kind of helter-skelter here. This is how Miami wants us to go. And then Jokic goes down as like, holy crap, who is going to step up? And it was Aaron Gordon who hasn't been flourishing offensively on a night-to-night basis. He was fantastic, taking it by force. And then in the second pocket, in the second half, where Jokic picks up that fifth foul, Aaron Gordon and and others stepping up. But particularly, Chad, in that first half, man, Aaron Gordon, this was a, um, this was a Denver sports moment for A.G. Without question. And I think there are a couple things in play here. Number one, he had already proven he can take it straight to this team with his size and his physicality advantage. So I think there was a comfort level there with him being able to do that, just having the matchup advantages. Number two, being on the road, that it happened in the second quarter, it wasn't like it happened at the end of the game in crunch time and it wasn't panic mode setting in for people who have never been there before. Like, how are we going to close a game without Jokic? Being in the second quarter, I think, was a little more loosey-goosey for Gordon to just try some things. And the fact that he was making the three right, last night, right. and he wasn't just making it, they were pure. Bottoms. I mean, yes, they, they, yes. Were, they were Clay Thompson swishes, never a doubt, right? The Perfect net. arc, right? So he was feeling good from everywhere on the floor. And, and I think the timing of everything worked out very much in the Nuggets' favor for Gordon to step up in the time being the second quarter and it not being – where the game was on the line at the end, where they had already gone through it, not just in this postseason, in this series, but they had gone through it in this game by the time it came around again in the fourth quarter. Right? Yeah, no, you're you're spot on with those, uh, the the, the buttery nature of the made threes. This was a guy who not only has struggled from three, he struggled making free throws. And there in that first first or second quarter, forget, but he, he misses that first free throw, and I'm like, not again here. Not again, but for him to step up in in that manner and make not just uh, a three, not two threes, but to go three of four from three, didn't even attempt a three uh, in game two, uh, uh, made a pair in game, or excuse me, didn't attempt one in game three, made a pair in game two, didn't make one in game one. So he made more threes in game four than he had in the first three games combined. And I think the one other element, that stood out to me in that first half is because Miami made this as physical a game as they could possibly make it for being sure. the smaller team, being the team on the ropes, they were battling and they, they 100% adopted the philosophy, foul them every time. They're not going to call every one of them. And it was absolutely true. And Gordon, and I even say Michael Porter didn't back down from that and continued to go to the rim. They continued to go in, take the contact, continue to try to attack. And and I think that mentality set a tone early for this team that they weren't going to back down from a street fight in this type of a game on the road, in humidity, all of those things, right? Those two guys in particular continued to battle through all of the contact on a night that it became clear pretty early. Murray and Jokic weren't going to have – Another game like they had in game number three. I mean, they shot 36% combined mm. last night, but everybody else continued to stay in attack mode. And it's something that that I've noticed in particular. Um, it, it's really fun for all the people who have always criticized Jokic's defense. When you see what Gordon did early last night, when you see what Porter did in just the attempts to go to the rim, Bruce Brown yep, later in the yep, game, yep. 
what you've also seen from Miami repeatedly in this series, particularly Jimmy Butler, but also Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, they will beat their man off the dribble, and then they will dribble through the baseline, yes. around, and kick it yes. back out. Yes. They're not challenging. They're not willing to go there and try to take the contact and, and go. They're not up for the fight at the rim. The Nuggets were up for the fight at the rim in an early physical game, and it, and it set a tone that they were there, and they were going to be there. And, and if you were going to beat them last night, you were going to have to earn it. Yeah, and, and I think it's a good point about Jokic uh, that we've been sort of um, – Becoming more and more aware, like the next layer of awareness for for the Jokic conversation. Everyone's on the same page now. Every, everyone with an actively working brain, that is, is that Jokic is fantastic. He's one of the best players we've we've seen. Uh, we've been beating this drum for a while. Like, let's mentally prepare ourselves where in the conversation this is about to go. And we'll have that reset of the conversation here momentarily. Um, but the next level is the defensive conversation. And I think even here locally, maybe not being talked about enough. I heard Marcus Spears after game three on ESPN say, Miami missed 16 of the 19 shots they took as Yo- with Jokic as the primary defender. And Stoke and I talked about this yesterday on the show. He's not, like, to make it digestible for the masses, Usually you're up above the rim and you're blocking shots like Bam. Like Bam goes from behind on the Jamal Murray layup and he, you know, just pins it um, like LeBron would, um, like AD would, like Giannis would. Jokic doesn't play like that. But if you're watching the games and you start counting the deflections, if you're watching the games and how many backdoor layups did he prevent by kicking the basketball? Chad, there's not a stat for that. There's not. But when you're watching it, you're like, oh my gosh, Duncan Robinson had a wide open layup uh, on, on a back door and Jokic is kicking the basketball to it, maybe even a third time. And then it's the psychological blocks where the it's freaking hard. You don't need to get your shot blocked to have it altered because of length. And we see all of this stuff accumulating with Jokic. And then it culminates in the defensive rebound. He's the best defensive he rebounder is. in the he game. Is. So uh, what has always puzzled me is the people want to criticize his defense. What What is the definition of defense? Getting a stop. Yeah, closing How do you the get a stop? You force a yeah. team to miss a shot and you rebound the ball. Yeah. And he's better at that than anybody. He's good at being big. He's good at maximizing and occupying space that the scorers are trying to get to. Yep. So he's making them go at whether it's just a slight angle, whether it's a Euro step sideways, whatever it is, whether it's an off balance off the wrong foot, he's making scorers try to go just a little bit off of the place that they thought they were going to get. And that challenge is enough to create a miss, and he's there quickly, whether it's turning around, whether it's tipping it to himself, whether it's tipping it to a teammate for a rebound, but then it's not only that, it's going the other way quickly. Right. So there there are a lot of things at play here that I think if you pay close enough attention, you watch the games over and over, watch the film, you're going to start to start to see that defense isn't just blocking shots. And But by the way, he also had three blocks. So it's all this other stuff, but he also had the blocks. That's three blocks. Guess what? If you have three blocks a game, you lead the NBA in, in block shots like Jaron Jackson did this past year with three. So he's doing all that other stuff. And by the way, it wasn't just last night. He had two blocks in game uh, uh, three. So he's got five blocks in the last two games. And then count how many times, whether it's Kyle Lowry or Gabe Vincent or Jimmy Butler, dribble from the wing or from the baseline through the paint and then just keep going and circle yeah. back out yeah. and pass the ball because yeah. 
they're not going to challenge and there was nothing there. And again, so that counts for, that. for something. Yeah, it, it, it counts when you know what you're looking at. But there's not a stat for it. So you count up all those. You count up all the non-blocked shots but are altered. Add up all the kickballs. Add up all the deflections. And I think that, again, when now that people are watching Jokic and the Nuggets and wholesale, you're hearing other basketball minds like the Zach Lowe's or the Bill Simmons being like, no, you guys got to give him his flowers a little bit defensively when the narrative in the regular season was when it came to the MVP conversation, well, Embiid dominates both ends of the floor. Jokic is a non-factor defensively. That 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 narrative is is getting turned right on its head here uh, in real time. So love to see it. Jokic has 23 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, three steals. I'm like, what? If you... This was a lackluster game for Jokic. If you did that every single playoff game, you go to the Hall of Fame as well. 23-12, 4-3-3. I mean, that's it's it's tremendous. Making three threes. How about the, like, the 30-footer? Uh, like, what? I'm at Slattery's here in the Tech Center watching it. And when he hit that shot, the bar just erupted. I mean, it's... What can he do? When I... I watched that three back in particular. We talk so often about how Jokic takes what the game gives him or Jokic's water yeah, and yeah, he just yeah, adapts. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched real closely for his feet, and he knew how far out he was that instead of shooting with kind of his feet square like he normally would, you could see how his right foot led yes, yes, and he leaned yes, into yes. it because he knew it was 32 feet away or whatever it was. Yeah. And it was still pure, but it, it is that quick of an adjustment going, oh, I've got to get a little bit more on this from way out here. Yep. Um, it It's an amazing thing to watch how he and um, now everyone else, Aaron Gordon last night, Jamal Murray's floor general game, how everyone else has slowly come around to taking what the game gives the way Jokic always has right. in the way he has found his success right that has now bled over and it has been adopted by the rest of the team so much so that you see it manifest itself with Aaron Gordon's second quarter with Jamal Murray 12 assists no turnovers Bruce Brown coming into the game maximizing the efficiency and running pick and roll with Jamal Murray where he's the ball handler right you, know, you see the rest of the team now playing the way we've watched Jokic play for five years I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Um, it's hard. It, it, it's almost impossible, especially at this stage where the team is at and what they're trying to accomplish. It's almost impossible to go into business for yourself when Jokic, who wants it, I mean, clearly, like, you see the emotion. I'm glad they caught that on camera when Bruce hits that step back three uh, there in the fourth quarter. Like, this guy wants it as bad as anything. And when he plays just the right way all the time, possession by possession, doesn't mean it's perfect play. Even he had some you know, dumb turnovers uh, that he would like to have back. But you can't go into business with yourself when um, when Tim Duncan doesn't. So it's one of these things where I, I love to see it. This is, this is um, you know, before the series started when people were like, oh, no one's going to watch this. The ratings are going to be bad. I, I come on with the morning show day of and after every game. And Mike said, hey, maybe there's some merit to this. Sell me on the finals. Like, what, what would be, what would be, what would you sell me on? Basketball. If you're, if you're looking for a team splitting at the seams or beefing with each other or uh, uh, thrown together at the trade deadline or, um, uh, you know, load managed for the last nine months and tries to, you know, push it across, this team's not for you. But if you're a fan of the game of basketball, 
this is this is in its purest form here with the Denver Nuggets. It's interesting because if if you were watching the ESPN shows, and I know a lot of people don't, but they have NBA Today on every day. They've got multiple podcasts and different ways of analyzing it, and, and their analysts have their own podcast. There was a clear effort when the Nuggets clinched against the Lakers and had nine days to wait. And regardless of the opponent, ESPN knew they were going to have to market Jokic to America in some way in these finals mm-hmm. and why they should watch. Yep. And the strategy that they came up with, if you paid close attention during that week plus, was to take what the other great players were saying about him and have said about him. So they took LeBron's quotes after the series. They took old quotes from Giannis. Yep. They took what Kevin Durant has said. Yep. Magic right? Johnson. And and they leaned on the basketball element by saying, hey, we're not just trying to make this up and promote it because the finals are on our network. Here's what the guys that he plays against are saying. Yeah. So they leaned into the basketball element because it's really all they get, all that he gives them right. to market. Right, right. And and it was it was those guys, the LeBrons, the Giannis's, the Durants, and then it was the goats of the game, Magic, Chuck, Shaq. I mean, everyone on the same page saying the same thing. I like that. I, I, that was a good observation in in the wind up to Game One. Um, let's let's jump back into Game Four. So much of the conversation. Um, oh, and by the way, let me pay this off real quick because we haven't actually talked. We talked about it on the radio show, not here on the Mile High podcast. Um, the the idea that people wouldn't watch the games is just wrong. The ratings have been great. The ratings have been strong, in, uh, and we'll we'll get the you know maybe overnight rating from Game Four a little bit later today, if not if not Sunday. But in the first three games, not one game has been any more than three percent lower than last year's finals. That's very very relevant because last year's finals was Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, who are sort of like the basketball version of. Friends or Seinfeld, they've been in your living room for a decade. We know the characters. We feel comfortable with them. We know their personalities. You root for or against them. And then on the other side, it's the Celtics, who along with the Lakers and the Yankees, have been the most successful American sports franchises in the history of American sports. So the fact that Nuggets Heat, the anonymous Nuggets against an eight seed, is not dropping off any more than 3% in any game. And in fact, Sunday night's game two was doing 15 million viewers. So this idea that, hey, NBA fans who ingest the league on Instagram aren't going to be interested in this just more classic basketball matchup without some of the sensational headlines, just flat out wrong. It's also a little bit short-sighted because we are focusing solely on the U.S. TV ratings and how the Americans are paying attention to it. And that 3% is easily made up by what they're gaining internationally. And they continue to gain internationally. When you have Giannis do what he has done, you have Joel Embiid do what he has done and win an MVP, you have Luka do what he was done, and now Jokic with two MVPs and being in the finals, their international market is making up for that 2 or 3% domestically, even though we're still going to look at it from a rating standpoint here on TV in America. Right, 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 right. Good point as well. Uh, Chad, big part of the conversation coming into Game 4 was Michael Porter Jr., it's like, do the Nuggets have a Michael Porter Jr. problem? I mean, th- those were real questions and fair, not like hot take radio stuff. Like, he was defensively looked um, lost at times. Um, offensively, I, I'm not one of these guys who says I feel bad for him because you're on a max contract. And you're not playing up to your max contract uh, 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 status. 
And I think it's very fair to mention that in this moment. But I, I, I'm choosing not to dwell on it because the moment is so much bigger than Michael Porter Jr. Um, God, that kid needs to see a shot go down as bad as anyone I've ever seen. He's scoring around the basket because he still has hands. I mean, the guy's like can chew gum and walk. But he continues to struggle over 3 of 3 in Game 4, 4 of 10. All his baskets were sort of spoon-fed to him, which you take it. But, and I'm not babying him, but I, and although I might come across as it, there was some uh, great cuts for him. I thought every basket in a game like that was big. The fact that he got four of them around the hoop, cutting, dunking, a uh, little bit in transition. But it's complicated. It's not, it's all, it's not a one-size-fits-all right now with MPJ. I've been as critical as anyone of MPJ because my natural personality is a maximizer, and I see what's there. And I know if he starts to approach his potential that we're not talking about one closeout game Monday night. We're talking about two or three or four or five championship opportunities in the finals for this organization. And that's why it's so frustrating for me to watch. It's not a short-term conversation. It's not a problem right now because it's not costing them games. They're still winning and they're going to win a championship. Yep. But when you look at the, the larger picture, it is the key to their ceiling. And what can be done in the Jokic era. Totally. And, and that's where it's frustrating to me. I, I think what's interesting is there there are a lot of things along the way that they've learned in their process that have helped get them to this point. And last night's game could be another one of those small things because, yes, Porter still could not hit a three, could not hit a jump shot, struggled early in the game, but he did get going. He did go over his points total of 10.5 last night, which <laughs> he dropped because all he did was keep moving and stay yes, active. Yes, yes. And that is the key to unlocking him for the future, is he has to understand that if I play the way Christian Brown plays, where I am just constantly active, I'm, I'll make mistakes, I'll mess things up, but if I don't stop moving, I have too much ability and too much talent that I'm going to fall into buckets. Yeah. And he did last he night did. because playing with Jamal and right, Jokic, right, right. it's just here. Oh, I can shoot this from four feet away or I can give it to Mike and he can lay it in and maybe able to get him going. And he gets 11 points just by moving, simply by moving. That's all he had to do, right? So if if that gear can be unlocked, if Porter can start to see the whole game, the way Aaron Gordon traveled to Europe and followed Jokic with Team Serbia last year to better understand how to play with Jokic, you see how that has paid off. That is what we need from Michael Porter for the extended period. It's not making a difference for Monday. It's not making a difference for this series. He's going to be an NBA champion. But if he's going to maximize his career and what happens as him being a part of the Jokic window... This is what we're talking about. Because if Michael Porter starts to reach or near his potential, then you're talking about you don't have to play uh, an undersized Heat team with home court advantage if you're playing Milwaukee in the finals next year. Or if you're playing Boston, it won't matter. Right. That's right. That's right. And you use the word ceiling. Uh, I heard you mention this at, at the War Room. We've been saying almost the exact verbiage for a couple years here. Michael Porter Jr., represents the organization's ceiling. And although it, 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 he said it, it, it doesn't matter or won't matter for this year, it is encouraging to see him pivot within a series. Because game two, was it game two? Yeah, game two he was as bad as we've seen him. But in the third quarter, he actually started to at least acknowledge a little bit, or, or maybe that was game three in the third quarter, excuse me. is game three in the third quarter where he started to acknowledge like, 
okay, I, I have to do more. And he started to be more competitive on the glass, get on the floor, try to save a ball from going out of bounds. It, it didn't work out, but the max effort stuff is there. I love the, I love the, just stay moving. Just, 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 just don't be stagnant and asleep in the corner because then you can't play. Then you're, then you're offering nothing. So, um, what do you think we see on, on Monday night, game five from MPJ? I hope for his sake that there is another play like the diving on the floor in game five against Phoenix that led to the AG dunk. That, yeah. That's a pivotal yes. turnaround play in the momentum of the yes, game. Yes. I don't care if it's in the second quarter, if it's close game late, whatever. I, I hope that there is another situation that he's involved in where the work he puts in to do the right thing results yeah. G- yeah, gives the Nuggets yeah, results. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't care if he makes threes or not. That that's wrong. It'd be nice to see of for him course, to go out on a, on a high note. Right. But that's not what's important right now. Those things are important for the future of this franchise. But the understanding of playing the right way and playing hard all the time is the most important factor for him. And he has made a difference in this postseason doing that. But he hasn't done it every single game and it requires you to do it every single game right when you're trying to win 16 i i have a feeling and 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 maybe maybe it's wistful thinking and i said this yesterday i predicted michael porter jr was going to play well offensively i was wrong okay despite him getting his to, to his uh to his 11 points and covering his 10 and a half which is down from probably 15 and a half earlier in the series 14 and a half um man the game has a way of rewarding you when you do the right thing and you play the right way. And I think that he has tried his damnedest these last two games, the second half of game three and last night, to do those little things. I just have a feeling, like a boomerang, it's going to come back to him. I think he's going to make shots on Monday night. Maybe, again, wishful thinking. We'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure we'll have more thoughts about that on Monday um, on the radio show leading up to uh, tip-off uh, uh, of game five. Um, let's talk about Jamal Murray. Uh, I, I know you've seen... The stats, uh, Chad, I'm going to read them uh, anyway uh, because it's worth our time. Jamal Murray, first player in NBA Finals history with 10 or more assists in the first four career games. The fact that he did not have a turnover, and I believe he had seven in game number three, the fact that he chopped that and sliced it from seven to zero, players with 12 assists and zero turnovers in a Finals game, it happened twice before last night. Robert Reed in 86, Magic Johnson in 1987. Pretty sure you heard of him. And now Jamal Murray is on that list. And then also, why I was just doing the stat thing right now, before I get your thoughts, Chad, on Jamal, uh, I saw, uh, and the guys at DNVR put this up, uh, the side-by-side comparison of Steph Curry uh, and his first final appearance. And it's relevant because they're both 26 years old. And we know what regard we hold Steph in. Um, Steph Curry in his first finals, 26 points a game. Jamal Murray in his first finals, 26 points a game. Steph Curry in his first finals, five rebounds a game. Jamal, almost seven rebounds a game. Steph Curry in his first finals, six assists a game. Jamal Murray, 10 assists a game in his first finals. So, and by the way, you're seeing the three-point field goal percentage, which really separates Steph from anyone else in NBA history. Steph shot... Uh, 39% from three, Jamal Murray, 38% from three. This guy, although he didn't light the world on fire like we've seen in previous games in the playoffs, 12 assists and no turnovers, Chad, 
wasn't a perfect game, 5 for 17 from the floor, but him as a distributor makes up for the ground that he didn't cover offensively putting the ball through the hoop. If Chris Paul has this kind of a game in the playoffs, everybody's talking about what a tremendous leader he is and how he controls the flow of the game, and he's an all-time great point guard. Yep. And I think that is a point that Jamal Murray, maybe the last thing he had to check off in this playoff run is convincing people that he's not a scoring guard, that he is a point guard and he can run the team and he can control the flow of the game. And he had he had a bunch of turnovers in the fourth quarter of game number three, three or five yeah, yeah, yeah. in the fourth yeah. quarter alone. Sloppy, yeah. And to come back with zero for the entire game, um, it was a phenomenal performance in, again, reading the game and taking what it was giving to him and giving to the team. I'm not sure after 5 for 17 last night he's still on pace to do this, but the one other stat that you could make the comparison of with Steph or any other great player is going into last night, he was on pace to have a 50-40-90 playoff. Yeah, that's rare. 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. Right. There's only a handful of guys who have done that in the regular season in NBA history. You're yeah. talking about the Steve Nashes, the Dirk Nowitzkis, yep. uh, Larry Kyrie Bird. did it, Larry Bird. Um, yeah. I think Steph has one season like that as well. So he was he's on he was on pace to do that. He's probably just short now. But you know if if he has a great game five or however long this goes, if he if he shoots the ball well the rest of the way, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff I saw like guys who average twenty five five and five, and that list is uber short. I mean, th- th- this run is uh, there's a lot of history packed into it, man, and it and it's so fun because there's stuff that's lost like. Here, you, you want to mention something else about Jamal? Because I have another well, stat I want to read here. Well, what, what's amazing about the stat compiling from Jamal and Jokic in this series is a lot of people who um, may be skeptical about it will point to, well, you know, the game is different now and, and they play so much faster and there's so many more possessions. Not in this finals. Yeah, right. There's no. 87, 90 possessions yeah, a yeah, game. Yeah. So they're still getting the numbers with a lot fewer opportunities. Yep. Yeah, their offensive rating has been fantastic. And it's like, like you're talking about like 118s and 119s offensive ratings without really hitting threes. I mean, I know they hit threes last night, but up until the fir- up until game four, I think the first three games of the series, they hit 24 total threes. They won game three. They hit five threes. That is just uncommon for this team. And I know we talked about Jokic, but I'd be remiss if I didn't shoehorn, kind of do a U-turn and shoehorn this back into the podcast. Um, Jokic becoming the only player in the history of the NBA to have a postseason with 500 points, 250 rebounds, and 150 assists. We've never seen that. So it's either one of two things with, with Jokic these days. It's not since Wilt or... He's now the only person on a new list he created out of thin air. Let's take note also that we're not playing six and seven games every series for him to do that. Correct. He played five, six, four, and likely five. Right. So it's not like he's had extra spins at the the wheel to do this and compile numbers for totals. You're spot on. You're spot on. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Uh, Jeff Green, big shot in the fourth quarter. Jamal Murray, bang, right in, his, right in his freaking shooting pocket. He's sitting there waiting in the deep corner. I just love that for Jeff Green. I know he hasn't been perfect. You saw him fall asleep in the first half on a couple backdoor cuts. I got it. Um, but on the whole, I thought Jeff Green's been pretty good in these NBA finals. You got a quick thought on Uncle Jeff? 
he stepped up when it counted last night. He took one shot, and it was big. It was really, really big. And a lot of people were screaming and yelling for Jeff Green to be benched and put Porter in yeah. and at least give him the opportunity. And uh, I did hear the line, what can Jeff do that Michael Porter can't? Make and then yeah. he hits the three, yeah. and that's the one thing Porter hasn't been able to do. So yeah. um, the timeliness of the playmaking from Christian Brown's game three to Jeff Green's three last night and Bruce Brown's second half last night, the, the timeliness of the playmaking off the bench is everything because it's not just when – it's not just plays that happen, it's when they happen. That's exactly right, man. And, and, and the temperature of the game, you got to be watching to feel those those high leverage moments of when they happen. Uh, Bruce Brown. I mean, the fact that Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon, who traditionally, now every game takes on a life of its own, but traditionally, not the first option, not the second option, not the third option. In the NBA Finals, on the road, the fact that Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown combined for 48 points, Nuggets score 108. They scored almost 50% of the team total. Um, Bruce was great knocking down threes, playing in the pick and roll, knifing his way down the lane, up and under finishes with defenders trying to swat him. I mean, finding angles on the backboard that are no business angles. I thought Bruce Brown, uh, I, t- I tweeted this um in the moment, Bruce Brown, when this is all said and done, shouldn't have to buy a drink in Colorado ever again. He was here for one year. I don't care. He's going to go get paid, go get the bag. We've been saying for this whole season, best case scenario is Bruce Brown plays great enough where the Nuggets can't afford him, and he's going into free agency with a ring. It's coming into focus right before our eyes. few people looked at me like I was crazy at, at Brothers Barbecue at the War Room Wednesday because Raj asked, who do you trust the most outside of Jokic? And my answer was Bruce Brown. And all apologies to Jamal Murray and his fantastic playoff run, but the most consistent player after Jokic where you know what you're going to get from them every time you put them on the floor has been Bruce Brown in this postseason run. I, I learned that a long time ago from uh, the late, great Mark, Mark Workentine, former GM of the Nuggets. He told me, Chad, you know, when a lot of people scout players, I get these guys and they want to be scouts, but they can't do it because all they ever report back to me is what guys can't do. Yeah, And they don't recognize what they can do. I want to know when I put a guy in the game – what I'm going to get. Yep. For sure, what is he going to give me when I put him in the game? And Bruce Brown gives you the same effort, the same energy, the same defensive intensity, intensity and the same attack mode every single game, and he's done it every single game of the playoffs. Yep, he's been fantastic, uh, fantastically consistent in the first round. He averaged uh, 11.5 points. In the second round, he averaged almost 13 points, and that's with a five-point game mixed in there that will drag that average down. And by the way, that five-point game against Phoenix, he was two for two from the field. So it wasn't like he shot it like he did maybe in game three when he really struggled. Um, averaged over 12 points a game in the Western Conference Finals and now averaging 12 points a game in the NBA Finals. I, I, I didn't. You might have got some looks that you, were, that you were crazy by saying that. Not for me. And I think I said it either on the show or on that show specifically. We were at the War Room saying if you just bet Bruce Brown's overprop every single night, you hit three out of four. Because it's set at either nine and a half or ten and a half, and he's constantly at like ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and, and then and it's always uh, half a three pointer. He has to make one to yeah, go over. Yeah, uh, Bruce has been absolutely fabulous. We've been all over this from before he ever played a possession of Nuggets basketball. That him and KCP, Calvin Booth. I mean, 
the hybrid of two GMs putting this team together with Tim Connolly and the foundational pieces and then the accented others um, around uh, uh, those foundational pieces from Calvin Booth has been masterful. I also thought as much as he struggled early in the first two games in particular, I thought last night KCP bounced back with his best defensive game in the series sure. so far. Yeah, he was great. And then and then KCP, um, and we're not going to spend too much time on him, but uh, first two minutes of the game, KCP setting the tone with a corner three. Last two minutes, when you're really trying to pull away, KCP burying a wing three uh, that led to a timeout and was just like, this thing is over. It was a dagger. Um, wow. Okay, we covered a lot of ground. Um, does this thing end on Monday night in Denver? I think it does. Outside of something crazy happening, we all know there's a point in every series and every sport where the players recognize who's better yep. and how it's going to end. Yep. And give Miami credit for getting as far as they got with what they have. Hell yeah, man. But they are finally facing a team, a franchise, an organization that has the same mentality of, you want to get dirty? Yeah. Let's get dirty. Whatever we it will, takes. We will fight to the end. Whatever and, it takes. And Denver has better players. So Miami finally realizes that. And here's here's what is the most interesting about the entire journey. And this is where the the longtime Nuggets fans, or even the more recent just Jokic-era Nuggets fans, should really appreciate this. Miami is faced with trying to overcome a 3-1 deficit in the finals to make history and make this happen. But to do it, they have to beat a team that has done it before in the postseason and knows not to let go of the rope because right. of what can happen right. if you give them any life. And the Nuggets know what happened against Utah and the Clippers when they gave them a chance, and they're not going to let that that opportunity slip through their hands. No, they're not. And this is why, again, been talking about the climb of the NBA's traditional journey, you can't manufacture those scars. You can't manufacture those lessons. you got to go through it. And they've gone through it. And here they are, 48 minutes away from their first ever NBA championship. I will be there on Monday night. We'll be reacting uh, Tuesday morning, regardless of what happens. And uh, uh, something fun that we've been doing here for the last month or so is, um, you know, you always hear, hey, uh, national media this, national media that. Now, some of that's calmed down here, um, and rightfully so. But what we've been doing here, if you're just joining us and start maybe jumping on the train of this podcast, uh, thank you for being here if that's the case. We've been taking the opportunities that I've had to jump on that national level, and we've been attaching them here to the end of these Mile High Hoops podcasts. Um, and our listeners have got a kick out of it. And once again this morning, was able to be uh, on the mothership in Bristol with on the show Dari and Mel, Dari Noka, uh, Mel Kuyper. Um, Courtney Cronin was filling in for Mel Kuyper this morning. But uh, our guy Dante, and I want to say his name again because he's helping us out in a big way. Uh, he rolled on that earlier. We're going to attach that conversation to the end of this conversation. So this puppy's probably going to be almost an hour episode. This might be the longest episode of the year. Me and Chad could do this for another half hour. This is so fun. I mean, we were talking about before we started rolling. This is the payoff that you get. Working in sports media can come with it can appear as glamorous, and sometimes it can be. But a lot, of, a lot of it is is the the the, the journey, and the, and it's, it could be a gritty journey. And um, I could keep going on about what that looks like, but I won't. Um, this is the payoff for all the moments that aren't like this one. It's almost like there are 
compelling stories to tell, Zach. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Chad, uh, thank you for being here. Anytime. It's a blast. Enjoy this. I- enjoy it. Um, the journey has been long. It's been bumpy. It's been rough. But these are these are the fruits of all of it at the end. So it is going to be a fun couple of days here in the Mile High City. No doubt about it. All last season, we called it the year before the year. And this is the year. And now we're 48 minutes away. Whatever happens on Monday night, you already know, we're going to be talking about it on Tuesday right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Denver Nuggets up 3-1 on Miami in the NBA Finals. One win from their first ever NBA championship as we make our way to the Mile High City. Zach by host of Stokely and Zach on 104.3, the fan in Denver, kind enough to join us. What's the city like right now, Zach? The city's on fire, guys. And first of all, thanks for having me on, Dari, Courtney. Uh, pleasure to be with you. The, the city's actually, um, I mean, not obviously not literally on fire, but Thank figuratively, it is, it, it is every bit of that, guys. Um, and, and I think maybe something that can exemplify just how hot this town is for the Denver Nuggets. Ball Arena, where the Nuggets play, it was sold out last night. Guys, the game was in South Beach. There was no game happening at Ball Arena, but there was not an empty seat. 18,000 people packed into an empty arena where the game wasn't being played. Uh, this, this city has waited 47 years to be in the NBA Finals, let alone win one, and they are 48 minutes away. And Denver has had a rich history with winning championships. The Colorado Avalanche have had three parades, three Stanley Cups. Denver Broncos have had three Super Bowls. Um, but they have never celebrated an NBA championship, and only one of the six championships that Denver uh, has won have been actually celebrated in Denver. Five of the six titles have happened on the road or at a neutral location. So Monday night could be one of the wildest scenes in the history of Denver sports. Zach, we talk a lot about Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and, and I know we will uh, continue to do that because they deserve it. They're a great two-man game. They have risen their collective levels throughout this series and throughout this postseason. But it was Aaron Gordon. When you look back, and when we will look back if Denver ends up winning this championship, that game four from Aaron Gordon, the former number four overall pick, that's a legacy-defining game for him. How... How did Denver use him? Like, I mean, he's bounced around. He's been in the league for eight years now. How did Denver unlock getting the best out of Aaron Gordon that other teams maybe didn't? Courtney, it's a great question, um, and it's one that we've talked about a lot here in Denver. How they unlocked Aaron Gordon um, was having him slide or settle in to the role that naturally fits him as a player this guy was the fourth overall pick he's supposed to be a 1a when he was drafted uh, out of college he's supposed to be a franchise cornerstone well guess what the nba revealed he's not that guy but what he is is the third or fourth option on a championship team and when you take some of that off of his plate and you don't ask him to score 27 points every single night, but maybe once every two or three weeks he can get to 27 points. It's the perfect complement to the high-end blue-chip talent that Denver has at the very top of their roster in Jokic and Jamal Murray. Uh, So so allowing him to just be himself and not not, um, uh, uh, have to go above and beyond uh, all too often. And you're right. You, you used it in your setup. That was a legacy game. That was a career-defining game. We love to celebrate 
the uh, the role player who burst out as a star, a guy who is just a complimentary piece like Derek White, who you know who becomes something larger than that. We love to celebrate Justin Timberlake, you know, breaking out of the band and and becoming a star. But what about the guy that was supposed to be a star and actually settles into a role as you know mm-hmm. the fourth option of NSYNC? That's what Aaron, Aaron Gordon has done here, and I'm so glad he got a moment uh, to get his flowers on the national stage because there was two stretches in game four where they desperately needed something. It was the first half when Jokic rolled his ankle, and Aaron Gordon served as a life preserver to keep the Nuggets above water in those non-Jokic minutes. And then in the second half when Jokic picked up his fifth foul, there was Aaron Gordon once again allowing the Nuggets to tread water in those non-Jokic minutes. And as you said, a legacy defining for the former top five pick. Chatting with Zach By, host of Stokely and Zach on 104.3, the fan in Denver. Zach, it's, boy, you know, I think you might be the first person that's brought Jay, Tim, and NSYNC into an interview on the show, which is fine. I mean, it's good. We're, we're big music folks uh, on Dari and Mel. Um, <laughs> but no, let's, like, to, okay, so early in the game, Jokic comes down awkwardly on the ankle. You say, oh, no, now he's hobbling. Is this going to be impactful to them? Fourth quarter, he picks up his fifth foul. Heck of a you know acting job. I get it by Bam, but that's what happens sometimes. And it's, frankly, yo, we've seen Jokic do this too. But the fact that Denver was able to somewhat hold serve, I know Miami tried to creep back in this. They had to play key minutes without a 100% Jokic or with no Jokic. Like, what did they show you in those moments last night? They showed me uh, the definition of team. You know, mm-hmm. the Nuggets are, are more than just Jokic. And, but, but with every title team, you cannot win a championship in this league without the quote-unquote others. You have to have a, a, a top five traditionally in NBA history. You have to have a top five player to win an NBA championship. But that's sort of a prerequisite. Then you have to have a Robin, in which they have in Jamal Murray, and then you have to have solid third and fourth options like MPJ and Aaron Gordon. But, guys, that's still not enough to win a championship. And I grew up loving the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. And as good as those two were, it always seemed to be guys like Brian Shaw and Rick Fox and Robert Ory making big plays for them when they needed them most. Um, and that's, that's what they have, the complement of guys like Bruce Brown. I mean, guys, Bruce Brown is on a one-year contract for all intents and purposes. He's going to get a bag this offseason. But he scored 21 points. Aaron Gordon is the fourth option on this team. He scored 27. So you're telling me in a game four on the road that Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown, your fourth and your sixth option, combined for 48 points? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's extreme. Under two minutes left. Miami's trying to come back. Who hits a big corner three? It's Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who was hitting a big three in the second half in his limited minutes. It was Uncle Jeff Green, who's been in the league for about 100 years. But it's the, it's the full complement of this uh, 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 orchestra. And it seems like every couple nights, a member of the orchestra gets to step out and give a solo performance. And that's what you saw last night in Game 4. Zach, we talk about the player contributions, and I think that also needs to incorporate Michael Malone and the job he's done coaching this team and getting these players in a spot where they can be successful. What stood out to you the most just about the way 
he's handled the, their run through the Western Conference, but also in these four games of the NBA Finals? Well, it, it's a good question, Courtney, and, and it's something that um, is kind of nuanced, okay? It's never going to lead Sports Center. But Michael Malone, first of all, has been with this team for almost a decade. You don't maybe think of Michael Malone as one of the longest-tenured coaches in NBA basketball, but he is. It's Pop, it's Spolstra, it's Michael Malone, it's Steve Kerr. That's the list of the longest-tenured guys in the NBA. Um, but his use of timeouts, it's little stuff like that where you know, you're up nine and Miami hits a shot and you don't allow them to hit a second shot without calling a timeout and thinking it over. It's making a, a tough decision, like saying, you want to know what, Michael Porter Jr.? We know you're a max player. We know you're, you're, you're a $200 million contract, but guess what? You just don't have it tonight. So I'm going to make a very hard decision. I'm going to close the game with Bruce Brown. It, it's decisions like that. We've seen him in, in the Phoenix series. You asked about the run through the West. We saw in the Phoenix series where Aaron Gordon wasn't closing games. So, so Aaron Gordon gets to be the hero last night, but there were some real humbling moments along this journey uh, for someone like Aaron Gordon, for someone like KCP, who have both been sat down in high-leverage moments. But it's knowing the temperature of your team and having a unique sensitivity to the um, uh, temperature of these games. And he has just pushed all the right buttons, guys. He's been the – he's been – you know, here's the conversation in Denver for the last couple of years. Denver was a bad team, and Michael Malone was the perfect coach to, to, to go from bad to good. But was he the right coach to go from good to great and eventually cross the finish line as a champion? And we're seeing our answer to that question in real time. Zach, what are your plans for Monday night? Uh, I will be at the game, of course. Uh, I will be at the game. Um, I've been uh, at the games uh, for weeks now. Uh, been at every round. Um, it's almost, guys, when you have a when you have a fan base that's this pent up for almost five decades. Okay, when you have a Western Conference that always seems to have a juggernaut in your way. Um, whether it be the Lakers, the Spurs, or the Warriors. That's really who it's been for the last 23 years. There yeah. always seems to be that bulldozer in your way, and there's not. And they are the bulldozer, guys. And this fan base is so hot, I wouldn't miss it for the world. It's almost a religious experience being in there. Uh, the, the intensity is palpable. And, and, guys, we're not just watching a run to a championship, okay? And the Denver Nuggets are going to win this championship. They're better. They're minus 8,000 now for the series, meaning you would have to lay eight grand to win 100 bucks. So they're go- we're going to have a parade. But it's not just a championship. This has been yeah. a dominant run to a championship. The Nuggets are now 15-4 and four in these playoffs. They've lost one game at home. So this has been such a special journey, especially you know, for me covering this team for six years and watching the arc really develop and come into focus. I would not miss Monday night. I've never, I've never been sitting on a Friday night saying I can't wait till Monday, but there I was yeah. last night. It's going to be – that's a good point. Oh, no, it's going to be great. Denver's uh... – Hopefully not on fire, as you suggested, uh, obviously, <laughs> figuratively earlier. Thanks for your time, Zach. We appreciate you, man. Zach By, host of Stokely and Zach, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. You can get him at By's line, at B-Y-E-S-L-I-N-E on Twitter. Thanks, bud. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.